Good morning and welcome to Friday Live here on NET Radio. Much of today's show is pre-recorded as we continue to protect ourselves and our guests from the spread of COVID-19. I'm Genevieve Randall. This week's show has two musicians native to western Nebraska featured. We'll talk with them and hear their music. William Padmore will talk with UNK's Ann Foradori later about a Kurt Vile production. There's a dance performance to learn about and we'll hear some poetry by Stacy Waite this morning as well. We'll start our show this week with a production of two Tennessee Williams plays at the Johnny Carson Theater at the Lead Center for Performing Arts, staged by Omni Arts Nebraska. The Chalky White Substance is directed by Jillian Carter, and The Traveling Companion is directed by Dustin Witte, who joins me now. Dustin, it is so great to see you live and in person. It's wonderful to see you. I'm wondering how you decided to put these two short plays together. Now, I guess there are scripts that I found, oh gosh, probably over 10 years ago, because I've always been interested in sort of small cast, uh, maybe one or two men or, or whatever, but some different dramas, some more experimental dramas, maybe. And so these were two plays that I found in a collection of short Tennessee Williams works that I just thought were really interesting. And I did find out they have at least once been produced together before. It was in 1996 in New York. But otherwise, uh, not a lot of people have really done much with it. And each play has so much to say about the other one in a lot of ways. There are parallel themes, things that are echoed from one show to the next that I was hoping I could put them together on stage. That's interesting because, I I mean, I'm a novice. I know nothing. That's what I'm saying. And the first thing I think when I hear Tennessee Williams is Streetcar Named Desire. And then I'm sort of running out. Well, yeah, Streetcar, what, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, okay, right. Last yep. Menagerie. Oh, yeah, Those right. would be sort of the bigger commercial successes, some of the things that he's really revered for. These two plays, Chalky White Substance and The Traveling Companion, I think he probably even would have considered as more experimental dramas. They definitely reflect on his own exploration of his own sexual identity, maybe how his commercial success influenced his relationships with people, power dynamics that came into play as an established playwright, trying to make a friend, but ultimately because of that success, there might be this power dynamic that complicates their relationship. I think in both of the plays, he's looking at those kind of power struggles or shifts. That's interesting. How how big are the casts in, in each show? The Chalky White Substance is two actors, Christian Novotny and Max Antoine, who play Luke and Mark in this post-apocalyptic world with scarce resources. And then in The Traveling Companion, it's Randy Hawthorne playing View and Kenyon Koenig playing Bo. And then Christian Novotny also steps in as our hotel employee who brings room service and brings in other props throughout the play. And I thought if you've got two different plays and you're staging them back to back, you know, actors can be in different costumes, but what do you do with the set? That was one of my goals with this. I mean, I'm a director. I I run Omni Arts. I mean, I'm the managing artistic director of the company, but scenic design, tech direction is kind of one of my mediums for art. And so I wanted to make a seamless transition that is part of the show. 
So definitely there is a way that the space, it, it is a unit setting more or less, but it is dressed differently from one show to the next. Um, and the transition is part of what I want the audience to watch. In the same way that the plays parallel some thematic material, the setting is parallel. I was just thinking with the set, I saw a clip recently of um, a figure skater who changed costumes in the middle. You know, she's it's obviously one piece, but oh, yeah. it's got a clever little function to it that makes it change to the other costume. Right. Yeah, like any kind of transformation, something that makes you see the same thing differently uh-huh. Uh-huh. is a fun device, I yeah. think, on stage. So it sounds like that's kind of what these two plays are doing side by side. There are some parallels, as you've mentioned. Are there some contrasts then, too? What are the contrasts? Where do we see those? Oh, definitely. I think the chalky white substance is is a little more abstracted. It is this futuristic post-nuclear war kind of society where there's a greater scarcity of resources. People are definitely living in a, in a world of greater desperation. Traveling Companion is a more realistic setting. Um, we're setting it uh, early 1980s, roughly, which is probably around when he wrote it, um, very late in, in Tennessee Williams' life. Um, but somewhat more contemporary, somewhat more realistic. But the relationships, the dynamics are similar from one to the other. Ah, okay. I wondered about the title of the chalky white substance. You've indicated that there's some nuclear <laughs> tie-ins there, which makes me think, oh, okay, maybe it's related to that. In the stage directions, they, they describe a, a dust that is over everything that layers the world. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but in the dialogue, there's some beautiful poetic language about maybe what that signifies to man. Wow, I feel like there's a dust laying over the world right now. Can I, just be... <laughs> I think we can relate to, to the subject matter of the play, definitely. For you, um, directing one of the shows and then having Jillian Carter direct the other show, what's that interaction and relationship been like? Um, it's been wonderful. So Jillian and I actually have a long history. We went to college together very early on, what, 20 years ago now. So we have an old friendship from early on in both of us pursuing theater and and art. And so now to reconnect, to do these plays together, I think we've just done a a great job of of trying to support each other, build each other up, uh, find the ideas from one play to the next that resonate with us and accentuate them or, or help to make those come to life. And it's also unique, of course, getting to be in person with audiences again. How does that feel? Um, I would be happy to be putting anything on stage in front of an audience right now. I'm I'm really happy it's these two plays. It's great to be working with the Lead Center, knowing that they are making all of the accommodations they are making to do it safely, that we are certainly doing that ourselves, and that people can get together again to see a live performance. This is Two by Tennessee. Omni Arts Nebraska presents two Tennessee William plays tonight and tomorrow, as well as Sunday at the Johnny Carson Theater at the Lead Center for Performing Arts. I've been talking with Dustin Witte, who directs one of those two shows. So good to talk with you, and Dustin, be well. Thank you. It's so great to see you.
This is Friday Live on listener-supported NET Radio. Find links to more about this and everything you hear on this morning's show at netnebraska.org slash radio. It started out as a somewhat crazy idea that has now resulted in a book and museum exhibits, observing and photographing one square meter of prairie to uncover the diversity and activity of life living there. This week on All About Books, Chris Hauser of the Nature Conservancy in Nebraska talks about what he saw and learned by diving into a tiny piece of the prairie environment. One of the things this project really helped highlight is that it changes all the time. So you can visit the same prairie, you know, every day in a week, and every day you go, you'll see new things because there are always flowers that are starting to bloom or ending their blooming period, and there are insect species that are emerging or, or falling away, and or just things that are more active on one day than the other because of the weather or other factors. Hear more of this interview with prairie scientist, author, and photographer Chris Halzer about his book Hidden Prairie, Photographing Life in One Square Meter, online now at netnebraska.org slash allaboutbooks. I'm Dave Hughes. Stacy Waite is author of Choke, winner of the Frank O'Hara Prize for Poetry, Love Poem to Androgyny, The Lake Has No Saint, winner of the Snowbound Prize, and Butch Geography. Waits' poems have been published in Court Green, Black Warrior Review, and Indiana Review. Additionally, Waits' book, Teaching Queer, Radical Possibilities for Writing and Knowing, was published in 2017. Today, Wait reads us one poem. The poems I write reflect a lot on what it's like to move through the world as someone who gets interpreted, uh, sometimes as a woman, sometimes as a man, and... I myself don't really care either way. <laughs> so gender has a sort of strange uh, or maybe strange to other people sort of role in my work and in my life. And so a lot of my poems reflect on gender, reflect on masculinity, particularly in the new book I'm working on, A Real Man Would Have a Gun, that I'm going to be reading from mostly today. So first poem I'm going to read, um, if you haven't seen the movie Goodwill Hunting, you'll miss a few of the references. So may want to go ahead and record this, watch Goodwill Hunting, and then listen to the poem again, and there'll be like a new pleasure. Uh, you can still understand it, though, if, you, if you've never seen Goodwill Hunting. This poem's called Notes on Matt Damon. On ratemyprofessors.com, quite a few of my students suggest that my class is hard and that I look like Matt Damon. Some students have even granted me the infamous hot chili pepper rating for looking like him. It's hard to know how to interpret this. After all, Matt Damon is indeed handsome, and if my last words could be any words, those words just might be, do you like apples? Well, I got a number, how do you like them apples? To the middle school boys who bullied me. I'm not from Boston, but the power of the accent does speak to me. I wonder what more Matt and I might have in common other than our East Coast upbringing. After all, he was born on October 8th, a Libra, and I am a solid, on top of things, Capricorn. My parents divorced when I was seven, and young Matt was a whopping 13 when his parents untied the knot. I wonder, did he run into the woods in celebration? Did he dream of the day he'd stop seeing his father's leather shoes at the back door? 
anymore? Did he refuse to speak in school? Did he dress up in girls' clothes or pretend he was the lead singer of girl bands like Hart or Wilson Phillips or even better, the Bangles? Did he want to work with his hands but find his hands inadequate? Did he want to be taller? Did he wander the halls of his middle school with notebooks full of love notes never slipped into the lockers of girls who thought of him as harmless or never thought of him at all? Did he ever eat an entire gallon of cookies and cream on prom night while the rest of the neighborhood danced in their beautiful genders? Did he major in English like all us poets do because we believe language precedes action? Did he ever listen to his mother crying through the walls of his Cambridge home? Did he like Latin when he learned Latin? Did he know when he was taking Latin that only kids that eventually go to Harvard, which he did, take Latin? Did he drop out of Harvard because he wanted to be a movie star or because the ivy walls seemed sinister or because he would have preferred to be the genius janitor solving equations overnight, the unsung hero, the silent show-off, the handsome but underrated underdog? Did he love expensive gin? Is that why he married a bartender? Did he become a Red Sox fan the same way I became a Yankees fan because some inheritances we cannot turn down because our grandfather's opinions about Major League Baseball were more important than their opinions on racism, sexism, and war? Did he ever want to be a soldier? Did he know he'd grow up to gather white boy directors on HBO and combo mansplain, whitesplain racism to Effie Brown? Did he know what power and money and whiteness would make of him? Did he know what teeth masculinity sprouts in the mouth? What privilege he could not feel in the frightening woods of childhood did I know? Did I know the pain and danger of my failed girl skin was also the implicated safety of my white skin? Did I know the tangled web we weave, Matt Damon, with our white boy smiles and perceived objectivity with our hot chili pepper ratings and East Coast accents? I don't want to be you, Matt Damon. What can I do to stop being you, to be some other kind of man? The kind of man who, in the end, knows when to sit down, shut up, and listen. Stacy Waite read us Notes on Matt Damon. Waite is Associate Professor of English and Graduate Chair at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and also serves as the Lincoln Coordinator for the Nebraska Writers Collective Louder Than a Bomb Youth Poetry Program here in Nebraska. Thanks for listening to Friday Live here on NET Radio. I'm Genevieve Randall. The next guest is the subject of a book titled The Other Side of Us by Molly Wisegram. There's a book signing event today at Francie and Finch in downtown Lincoln. My guest is Chris Maxwell, and he's married to the author. The book tells the story of an incredibly traumatic experience they and their family survived together, and I think you'll be surprised to hear about my guest's plans this Sunday once you hear his story. Chris Maxwell, welcome to Friday Live. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm surprised by my by my adventures this weekend. 
<laughs> I, I'm sure you are considering. Well, so but first of all, I wanted to say I, I mentioned that your wife's book is partly about trauma, some trauma that you've been through. And so I want to say thank you first for sharing your story, because I, th- I think that's a big deal when someone's been through. Yeah. You know, uh, I think we found through the journey that it was an absolute that we had to share that story. And it was part of the uh the catharsis. It was a part of the journey and, and, and it really helped us, uh, uh, process all, yeah. all of it. And, and, you know, it was all such an ego stripping, stripping process as a whole and, and having to reshare that and, and take that journey together just really allowed us an opportunity to come together in a different way than we would have otherwise. So I'll mention here the full title of the book is The Other Side of Us, A Memoir of Trauma, Truth, and Transformation. And as background, you contracted a very serious disease in February 2019, and that's Guillain-Barre syndrome. It, it looks a little different. It's one of those French French words. People have yeah. probably seen this, but it's a little a little bit rare, it seems like. What is it and how do you get it? Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's an autoimmune disease in that it's an onset. So uh, something triggers in your body for your immune system to now look at something in your body differently. And Guillain-Barre syndrome attacks your peripheral nervous system. And so it begins to eat away at the the protective covering on your nerves, the wi- the wiring, the outside coating on your wiring and um, from the outside in starts to cause paralysis. And um, uh, uh, mine was a, a very severe onset. So uh, ultimately they try to stop it from reaching the core of your body and mine did not. And so um, uh, through acute care, ultimately ended up in complete paralysis uh, on ventilators and and uh, um, not, not even blinking ultimately and having my wife and and mother have to take turns uh, doing that. To to think about you being in that state of paralysis where you couldn't even blink, to look at you now, it seems incredible. It, it, it is uh, um, uh, uh, almost miraculous. Uh, could, could, could say that it, it is miraculous and how that it's turned around and, and uh, we're so grateful for it. I, thinking about that, I think it's time to tell listeners what you are doing this Sunday. Yeah, so um, uh, uh, when something like like that happens and and you're faced with kind of this absolute rebirth, um, uh, at least how we looked at it is it is a choice to think biggerly, think bigger, think differently about what's next in in your life, and and we've tried to look at everything in that way, and in that. Um, I continued to work out. I continued to try to get stronger. Uh, I lost 60 pounds in that whole process. Uh, and so so you really are starting from scratch. And in doing that, um, I started to have uh, uh, dif- different um, uh, workout routines that I was doing. I started to cycle, and I did cycle before uh, for some longer distances and started to run a little bit as that's kind of part of that recovery journey. Ultimately, I wanted to start playing City League basketball again was my goal, and I found that when I was doing some of my uh, jogging, running workouts that I liked it a little bit more than I used to. I had a little more patience. I, I came across the walking and running kind of approach to things where, 
where I didn't feel like I had to race every time as fast as I could and just had a different patience and persistence about uh, running. And I wanted to do a victory lap. And so uh, this is a thank you tour and a victory lap. Uh, thank you to, to Lincoln for all the love that the Madonna Rehab Hospital, hospital had for us here. And uh, thank you to the community. It's such a wonderful return for us to come come back here. And it's a eyes to a higher horizon for me challenge that uh, my first half marathon uh, will absolutely be looking for me towards the back of the back of the uh, back of the finishers than than the front. But uh, I'm going to finish it. So well, and I think um, people who see you in that race, I feel like they're going to see the transformation portion of the subtitle <laughs> of Molly's book. There, they're going to witness that right there as you yeah. run by. Um, we'll mention here, you and your family are were living and are living, I think, in South Dakota. Yes, right. Um, and then you mentioned you came to Nebraska to be to be treated and recover in Lincoln at Madonna, also Omaha, right? And you already had Omaha connections. We were yes. talking just before. Yeah, so I li- lived in Omaha for a couple years, right, right out of college. And, and uh, um, what a wonderful rewelcoming uh, for for me back into into Nebraska. Uh, uh, my kids have been asking about coming back to Nebraska ever since we've been home. They had such a wonderful welcome here in Lincoln. And even though it was, you know, as traumatic of experience for all of us uh, and my kids, kids, uh, um, in fact, that's who my wife wrote this book for, is for our kids um, to tell the story. And and they had such a welcome here that um, uh, we're so grateful for this place and, and what it's done for us. I was thinking, seeing pictures of your kids, they're pretty young, and I wonder what their perspective will be as they get older and are better able to express what their viewpoint was. How will they remember this, you know, seeing oh. your dad this way? It's You know, my, my wife uh, uh, has always been pro-counselor and pro, you know, talking through. In fact, that's what's made our relationship uh, uh, what it is. And she very early got our kids talking to, to counselors. Uh, she was talking with them and it's amazing what powerful little creatures uh, walk around with us and their perspectives and their resilience. And she just wanted to write this book for them. So they knew all the things she was feeling and, and could document it for them. Uh, so when we went back, we could relive it together. I um, love the idea as you're talking here of the writing of a book being part of the healing. Oh, uh, it is such a huge part. I, the the writing initially, she wrote Carrying Bridge entries as well as had an ICU journal. And that was really huge for her and me in that, you know, we kind of worked on what was that story and that narrative we were sharing and how do we share it in a way that really represented how, how we were walking through this. Uh, and then the coming home is just, you know, you're, you're, at a point in the journey. We've talked a lot about how, you know, trauma is this thousand points of separation. You just get naturally pulled apart in all these different ways. And then recovery is a thousand points of reconnection. And this book writing and this whole process for us as a family has been those thousand points and that ability to talk through it and write it down and edit it and rehash it has just been uh, uh, critical. When did you start writing it in your 
timeline of healing? Yeah, so she, I mean, she, she, you know, she was doing the carrying break journals and the I and had the ICU journal, and then she started writing it. Actually, wanted to write a, write a book initially about you know what do you do with um, a second chance, and recognize that this was the book that had to be written first. And so you know, uh, uh, it was pre-pandemic. Uh, right before kind of kind of starting in the process and then really kind of accelerated as as we were spending time closer to each other at at home uh, uh, maybe not doing as many other activities out uh, um, uh, silver lining I guess to uh, that process and then you know as you know as you've talked to many it's yeah. a journey writing yes. a book in that process uh, so it is Chris Maxwell he is my guest and he runs his victory lap in the Lincoln Marathon this Sunday. He's the subject of the book written by his wife, Molly Weisgram, titled The Other Side of Us, A Memoir of Trauma, Truth, and Transformation. The book signing event is at Francie and Finch Bookshop in downtown Lincoln. That's today from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Chris, great to meet you, and thank you for being part of Friday Live this morning. It was great to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. And you can link to more information about this on our website. That is netnebraska.org slash radio. Just look for the icon for Friday Live. I'm Genevieve Randall. Waiting for that wild child. Sitting on the fence now You're telling you were kids now To settle down Assemble down You better settle down We heard just a little of a track Never there titled Wild Child by Rascal Martinez. That is a new single he's released and he joins me now to talk about that, the projects he's currently working on, and the many shows that he is planning on coming up this summer. Rascal, it's so great to reconnect with you on this week's show. I know. Thanks for having me back. It's good to see you guys again. And that was kind of fun to hear that track starting out with that kind of filtered sound and then you drop in with the full sound. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a one of our um, the engineers, uh, James Fleegy, kind of came up with that idea just to give that, you know, just to really grab it and then just really grab the whole song after that, just really punch it after that. So we're really happy with that. It's a nice effect. What's the song about? So it's just about getting lost. Like, you know, sometimes you got to get lost to find your own way kind of thing. And um, that's kind of the intention behind it. It's, sat down last year or maybe like 2019 some he's been a while now but since i wrote it but um <laughs> i wrote it and we recorded it back december 2019 and uh and yeah i just wanted a song that just kind of you know yeah you have to get lost to find your own way sometimes that's that's, that's how you the best stuff comes out too is when you get a little lost yeah. so you know it's i have to say i watched the video for the song too and can I just say, I got a huge smile on my face when I saw the Welcome to Sutherland sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my videographer came down and uh, from from Lincoln, and um, and yeah, we, we just shot it, like, over the, whatever, just one day, whatever. We just went to go check out everything, all the spots, and then um, I shot a lot of it at my buddy's farm. And then, yeah, we did, like, shots of Sutherland and stuff, too. So, yeah, we was real happy about that. It turned out real good, I thought. Can I ask whose cool classic truck that is? 
That's actually mine. My uh, my grandpa gave me that. His he bought that brand new 1970 Chevy pickup. And so actually we just got it restored. So now it looks a lot different than that. Tonight, this Friday night here, you have a gig in um, Norfolk at District Tap. And then I'm looking ahead. I see in June, you've got gigs in Ogallala, Grand Island, Deadwood, South Dakota. It's going to be a busy summer. We're really looking forward to getting back out there. I mean, except we didn't do a lot last year, but... Um, we're really looking forward to doing a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, tonight, District Tap, 9 p.m., I'm actually going to have a few special guests. Um, it's kind of more of an acoustic show, but um, my bass player, Spencer, will be there. And then my cousin is actually a dentist, plays the keys, um, and Eric is his name, and he'll be there, too. So it'll be us three. It's amazing to me to see it almost looks to me like a pre-pandemic schedule. How How does it feel? Well, it's crazy. I, when I was booking things, I was like, are you sure? You know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, now that more and more are coming in, it's just, it's kind of getting back to like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is what, you know, should be happening. So that's, we're really excited about getting back out there and, and here GI will be a, a big show too. We're really looking forward to getting back to, to here Grand Island and um, just a lot of shows on the calendar, a lot of things, different stuff that we're just, a lot of things moved from last year to this year, but yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to the summer for sure. Over this last year, have you been writing new songs? What have you been doing with your time? What's it been like? So the last year, um, I, you know, I lost all those shows and I really, um, I used to do a lot of handyman work with my dad and my grandpa. You know, they fixed rental houses and stuff a long time ago. And so I kind of brought that back because I needed to do something because I, I lost all these jobs and stuff. And so I was like, what better way? I could still work for myself and I can make my own schedule the same way I always do. And so I've been doing a lot of handyman stuff ever since like uh, April of last year. So that's kept me real busy. I still do that all the time. And and been, I've been writing a lot too. I, I plan on maybe pulling out an EP here later this year with uh, just some different kind of songs I've been writing. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that. I see you've got your guitar sitting on your lap here on our Zoom call. Anything you'd like to play for us? I don't know how long you want me to play or not, but... I'll give you a snippet. I wrote this for my fiance, and so this actually came out in, on Valentine's Day this year. talking to each other, I'm thinking you've got a fiance, you've got this new single, you're looking forward to a summer full of gigs. You mentioned you might be working on an EP coming out. It just feels so positive. It seems like things are looking up. 
through the whole part of last year, I mean, it's easy to get down real fast for sure. Yeah, I just try to keep my positive attitude just because, I mean, there's nothing we can do about a lot of things. And and honestly, I was trying to make the best of everything that goes my way. So, yeah, you know, just got to keep plugging along. I think that's the main thing, right? Just keep keep pushing. Sounds good to me. I like your attitude, Rascal. Well, Rascal Martinez's new single is Wild Child, and you can link through to Rascal's website through the Friday Live page at netnebraska.org slash radio to learn more about tonight's gig and all the gigs that he has coming up. Rascal, it is so good to talk with you again. Really take care and keep in touch with us with all the stuff you've got going on. It's great to see you guys. I know I can't wait to I come back to the studio. I'd love to come back again. But, um, but yeah, we'll hopefully see you guys this summer for sure. Sounds good. This is NET Radio. You don't see the sadness. Oh, you don't see his eyes. You don't see the moonlight like you did when you were young. That's a new single from Rascal Martinez titled Wild Child here on NET Radio. There's more music ahead on Friday Live. A guitarist and composer from Baird, Nebraska has a new album out and a new music video. He's also the writer of the Friday Live theme music. I'll talk with Alexios Anist in about three minutes. Plus, later in the hour, William Padmore spotlights a production from Carney. Did a virtual meeting you forgot about just interrupt your Friday Live experience? The digital world has given us a do-over. We podcast the show each week, and you can look for that later this afternoon on our Facebook page or on our website. The address is netnebraska.org. Be sure to check out our arts calendar while you're on our website. There are some online-only or other socially distant events there, in addition to some in-person. Feel free to submit your own arts or humanities event as well. That address again to find events or add your own is netnebraska.org slash radio. Just click the word events. Here are some highlights. Tonight at 7 p.m. at Kimmel Theater in Fremont, the Warrior Wildfire Dance Team, the Premier Dance Company, and Midland Dance Company are all featured in the Midland University Dance Showcase. At 7.30 tonight, Wayne State College hosts a live-streamed concert featuring a string ensemble in Ramsey Theater on campus. And the Renaissance Festival of Nebraska takes place this weekend and next. Costume characters, artisans, regional and national talent, and six performance stages that takes place near Papillion. For more information about these and other events, visit our website, netnebraska.org slash radio. 
Support for humanities-related programming on NET comes from Humanities Nebraska, delivering opportunities to engage with history and culture on the web at humanitiesnebraska.org. Support for programming also comes from History Nebraska, recognizing everyday Nebraskans who do their part to preserve and share Nebraska's stories. The history of Nebraska belongs to the people. To learn more, history.nebraska.gov. Support for programming also comes from Cornerstone Bank, a family-owned bank providing custom investments, trust, and estate planning services since 1882 with 46 central Nebraska locations. CornerstoneConnect.com. Cornerstone Bank, building trust on a solid foundation. hear the music at the beginning of Friday Live or during our arts calendar like we just heard also at the end of the show, you are hearing music written and performed by my next guest, Alexios Anist. He is based in Colorado currently. He's originally from Baird, Nebraska, and he has a brand new album out as well as a new music video. Alexios, it is great to have you back on Friday Live. Great to be here, Genevieve. So listeners will have just heard a little of a track that is titled No Rules, which is from your album, Nebraska. And that was from quite a few years ago. You've released some other albums in between. We use that for our arts calendar, our show theme music even. And some of that same style I hear is featured on the tracks on this new album. But you've got quite a wide array of sounds going on this album. I originally wrote that Nebraska album right after I got back from Spain, and I was very homesick for Nebraska, but I had all this new flamenco technique, so I was just trying to marry those two together. And yeah, the flamenco has never really left. I still kind of do the same thing, but with more influences now. Speaking of those influences, track four, for example, is titled Prelude in G minor. It sounds just like some classical music I might announce here on NET radio. And for about 26 seconds there, we do hear something that's kind of harpsichord-like, that sounds like that classical sound. And then the electric guitars come in. How did you write this and what were your influences? I've always listened to a lot of uh, rock and roll growing up. That was like my first thing. And then when I started going to college, one of my best friends that I met there was, his name was Thomas Chen, and he was a brilliant classical pianist. Still my best friend to this day. Yeah, I saw him play Chopin and Bach, and I was like, oh my God, that was kind of a turning point for me. I've studied classical music very intensely ever since then, but I can't deny the rock and roll that I grew up on, you know? So it's just kind of a mix of both in a way to make the music that I hear in my head come out. That's why I write it. How do you start a particular track or how do you write or arrange these pieces? I don't have like a method <laughs> technically. I just start with whatever instrument I'm playing and I just improvise until something catches my ear. And then I record everything in a program called Logic Pro and just slowly orchestrate and build things. And some things get out of hand very quickly <laughs> with lots of other instruments. Yeah, I always just try and make sure that there's a there's a nice melody there to begin with and something that's that's least memorable for me. The track that we're going to hear after we chat here is titled Remnants and it has a parenthetical part 1. So tell me just a little bit about that title. 
so the album is called Trinity. It's kind of based on threes. So Tom, the pianist, who is my best friend, he's actually an incredible artist too. So he actually did this cover that I used for the album. So I actually sent him the music before I had a title or anything. And he came up with this and I was like, well, what's going on here? And he's like, well, this is like your third album. So he did all of this uh, kind of playing with threes. So there's three dots, three circles, three crescent shapes, whatever you want to call it. And because I am combining like some of these uh, heavier elements like electric guitar and rock and roll drums and things like that, along with some of the softer acoustic things, those were like the, the different shapes combined together. So that's where the three things come together. And there's a lot of threes in my life, starting to write music in my 30s and just turning over a new leaf. But Remnants is, um, I don't want to give away too much, but it can kind of be whatever the listener wants it to be. But for me, it's it has to do with uh, a lot of things. You know, when you meet people throughout your life or people who have been in your life for, for a certain amount of time and then you know, for whatever circumstances there, be it someone passing away or just circumstances where you're, they're no longer in your life anymore. But I feel like these things always stay with you. So it was kind of an ode to that feeling. If our listeners go to the Friday Live page right now, they will also see your new video as well with that flamenco influence sound. You've even got a flamenco dancer in the video. What was it like shooting that and seeing that project through from beginning to end? That was very cool because normally I'm uh, shooting my videos myself and just kind of doing a low budget things like that just because I like to do it, you know, and it's, uh, it's fun for me this company Digital Mile, they reached out to me and they wanted to do a video. So that was my first time doing kind of a, a big production. It was a lot of fun. I felt very important. <laughs> but yeah, these guys do a great job. And I think they, they really help portray the feeling of that music through the video. So I'm pretty happy with that. Did you say that they reached out to you? How did they hear about you? I think they were having this uh, contest. And one of my very close friends told me about it and they told me to send my music to them. I didn't actually win the contest that they were having, but after a while they were like, yeah, let's do it anyways. So I got to do that with them. Are you going on tour with this new album? Do you have shows coming up in Nebraska? What's the future look like? Like, so for my previous album, uh, Animation, I got to do a big show in Nebraska with a string quartet and a full rock band and everything. And I was planning on doing that again with this, but there's still a few roadblocks with the Corona stuff going on. But so yeah, I'm actually kind of leaning more into the online thing now as most people are. And I'll probably do a Facebook live for this album. I do a lot of solo guitar shows like flamenco and that kind of thing. If I'm going to do the full uh, heavy version of my music to be able to do it with a full band. And it's just, it's very hard to to coordinate that in a space that can only hold a few people. So hopefully soon. So I want to make sure and highlight that what we're about to hear has that flamenco sound in it, but that other tracks on the album, as we talked about before, have kind of that classical influence and yet some heavy metal influence. Are there other musicians or, or folks that you have listened to that are role models or inspirations for you when it comes to that sort of blending of genres? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I take a lot from quite a few people. Obviously, Paco de Lucia is my favorite 
flamenco guitarist. I mean, he's unbelievable, but he was kind of the first one who showed me that, you know, you can take this music and go other directions with it. He was actually kind of, I think, shunned for a while in Spain because he was pushing things out of the, the tradition, but now he's a, he's a legend. Yeah, there's quite a few uh, electric guitarists, like Ingve Malmsteen is one of, the, one of my biggest influences, of course, on the electric. Uh, he was kind of the first, not the first one, but he did it the coolest, I think, uh, to, to mix the classical and, and the, the rock and roll. And of course, there was, um, you know, Deep Purple, there's Uli Roth from the Scorpions and lots of guitarists. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Well, we will have a link to Alexios' website right on the Friday Live page, and you can link through there to find his Facebook page as well for anything new coming out. You can read about his past albums as well. The brand-new album from Alexios Anist is titled Trinity, and we're about to hear the first track from that album. It's uh, also the track that he plays in his new music video. Alexios, it's really great to talk with you. Congrats on this new album, and keep in touch. Thank you so much, Genevieve. It's a pleasure. And again, find those links that I mentioned and see that video on the Friday Live page at netnebraska.org slash radio. This is Alexios Anest's Remnants, part one, here on Friday Live on NET Radio.
That is a track titled Remnants, part one from the new Alexios Anist album, Trinity. This is Friday Live here on NET Radio. I'm Genevieve Randall. Stay with us to hear about a broadcast, that's right, broadcast from the UNK Opera Program. That's coming up on Sunday. William Padmore has a conversation with the director in about seven minutes. Right now, I am joined in the studio by Kaylee Shadwinkle. She's a choreographer, dancer, and owner of Pod's Dance Company, gearing up for their third annual performing arts showcase titled Resilient in downtown Lincoln this Sunday. Kaylee, it's so good to have you here in the studio. I know. I'm so excited to be back. We had an awesome conversation. Listeners, you should have been here. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> and so I'm so excited to be back at NET Radio. The the pre-conversation while the mics are off, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's that we should tape those before so people <laughs> so people know. Well, so this showcase is both in person and live streamed, right? You're correct. Okay, that's awesome. And why have you chosen the title Resilient? Yes. I think we can all agree with the year of 2020. Um, I felt that resilient and actually our, our title is resilient with the period to show a statement um, that it really, truly, um, we're so excited that this piece um, is a performing arts showcase. So we're not your standard dance recital and whatnot. But we are bringing in a collection of dances um, as well as guest performing artists to show the emotional journey of resilience and the tenacity and grit and enduring hope that you need to overcome your hardships. And the reason we chose that is because I think we can all agree that every single person listening and every single person in the world has had to be resilient this past year of 2020. And so it's a, it's an, an honor of everyone of what they have overcome and achieved and also showing that hope and whatnot as we keep enduring these COVID times that we're in. Absolutely. Well, I, let's talk about some of the dancers participating in this mm-hmm. too, because I understand that some of them are part of a special after-school program. You are right. Yes. We are so excited. We this year have partnered with um, the CCLC after school dance program. Um, it is actually an expanded learning opportunity grant um, created by the Nebraska legislator and funded by the Nebraska lottery. Stacy Shepard is the coordinator for it. And we have nine very special dancers. Um, these dancers are ones that don't get the opportunity to go into a weekly dance studio and take lessons or might not have the financial opportunities and whatnot. And um, a dear friend of mine and dance instructor and assistant, Andrea Holmes, we are um, giving weekly dance classes to these students since August. Uh, fun fact, we are actually the first hybrid after-school dance program, a successful one in the state of Nebraska, um, to do this. We've done classes a weekly or twice a week since August, both virtually and in person as I'm traveling and these little dancers are dancing to have a little faith in me Um, reasons why is because sometimes especially with the dancers in in that group sometimes people question us and whatnot and we had so much belief in them that we we bought them costumes and etc and they're performing at our 1130 showcase so by the way you should check it out so you can watch them (laughs) (laughs) you know Kaylee I've heard about like band instrument drives for example for students who can't afford band instruments Mm -hmm. Uh, removing those barriers for those who wouldn't otherwise be able to participate yes. in dance. Where, where did the seed with the spark come from for for that idea? Yeah. Um, 
You know, I am one that I'm always love to give opportunities to individuals, and I love giving opportunities through dance. I just think dance has so much more just to offer than the technique. That's the amazing part. That's the journey, I guess you can say. But the opportunities to learn life lessons and no pun intended, learn resilience and endurance and teamwork. And um, when we got approached by the after school program to partner with them, I literally was like, no questions. We are your we're your company to do this. And we have been so grateful to have the partnership with them and some additional opportunities to excuse me too is that we partner with Bobby's Dancewear in Lincoln um, Melissa Jewell and her team and we even gave these dancers the opportunity to get a field trip to get their first ever ballet shoes and just really give them the experience if like if you were dancing with us on a weekly basis this is exactly what our dancers would experience and you know any opportunity just to pour love onto others and just be role models and mentor them that's why I do what I do, and that's why I love to do it through dance. Oh. Well, as you're working with um, your dancers, how are you teaching and choreographing? How do you practice and rehearse? Do you that, do that in person or online? Oh, that's a great question. Actually, kind of a mixture. Um, we were actually blessed, um, and we are the first student in the state of Nebraska as well um, to have a virtual dance program prior to COVID. So we were already doing choreography virtually in 2018, and we were already doing virtual classes from 2019. So um, we have several online dancers, our cute ones, I'm really excited, our three to eight-year-old online dancers. Um, it was phenomenal, Genevieve. They have been practicing online their showcase piece, and they came on Saturday and were flawless, like in sync perfectly. cute. And they, that was the first time they got to meet their classmates like in person. Several of our Crete and Lincoln dancers have been dancing regularly in person, and some of our adult dancers have been both a hybrid option of both learning online and in person. So really, truly, just I'm a maximizer, so we're just maximizing all the opportunities to really create a high-quality, safe, and professional show to be able to pub, um, publicize this weekend. Putting the pieces together there. Well, speaking of putting pieces together, you mentioned <laughs> ballet shoes. Yes. I'm wondering, is there modern, jazz, tap? What kinds of styles will oh, we see in the showcase? Oh, hot dog. Everyone knows that when I say that. The, we have, um, it is truly a variety show. So when I say that it's not your typical dance recital, it is the true statement because we have contemporary, we have contemporary ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, creative movement. Um, the sky is the limit. And then the cool part is we also have to complement um, these amazing dances, several guest performances, such as a vocal performance by... Um, program manager from Western Nebraska Arts Center, which you know, Stephanie Coley. Oh, yes, yes. Stephanie. She's going to be performing three A pieces. Hidden talent. <laughs> yes. And uh, I heard she was uh, she was uh, from, uh, she's originally in Scottsbluff, Gary, Nebraska. She was in town. And I was like, girl, you're singing for me. <laughs> and we also have Julie Schumacher, who's performing multiple piano solos. Uh, we also have Creed High School Show Choir coming. And the amazing Lacey Franzen is going to be singing Lean On Me, as well as Don't Stop believe in and we also have uh, poetry that's going to be um, kind of our transitional pieces so literally the sky is the limit on this oh my gosh and trust me y'all you want to be there <laughs> <laughs> music poetry and dance yes. i've been talking here with kaylee shadwinkle of pods dance company that is spelled p-o-y-d-s by the way which stands for put on your dancing shoes and we've been talking about their performing arts showcase which is at the brand new linking commercial club ballroom this sunday that showcase is titled resilient period 
That's mm-hmm. what they are, both in person and live streamed. Kaylee, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and thanks for being here this morning. You're most welcome. And super quick, if you want to attend either in person or the live stream, go to www.podsdancecompany.com or check out the events page on NET Radio to be able to tune in and get your ticket, because trust me, you want to be there. That's right. And that NET Radio website, by the way, is netnebraska.org slash radio. Head there and look for the Friday Live page to learn more about this dance showcase or anything that you've heard about on this morning's show. Stay with Friday Live. We will get more details on an event in Omaha that's coming up in about eight minutes. I'm William Padmore. The University of Nebraska Kearney Loper Opera presents I'm a Stranger Here Myself, Kurt Vile in America, this Sunday. Joining us now to talk about it is the musical director for this production and for Adori. Thank you so much for uh, doing this. I appreciate you taking the time out. Yes, well, I appreciate the, the airtime. Before we get started into the event proper, for those who don't know, uh, could you just sort of run through exactly what the opera program is? Each semester we do something, uh, opera scenes or a full opera or a full musical or scenes from musical theater. So there's something every semester. And this semester, we're featuring the work of composer Kurt Weil, who was a German composer who emigrated to the United States in 1935 and wrote many celebrated works for the stage. One of the best one, probably because of the song Mac the Knife, is the Three Penny Opera that he wrote with Bertolt Brecht. But uh, once he was in this country, he wrote a lot of musicals. One Touch of Venus, Lady in the Dark, uh, Love Life, any a number of things. He wrote 13 works in English in all. And so this program is selections from his catalog of works. So why him of all people? Well, he's a terrific composer to begin with. And he's a great connection between uh, musical theater and opera. So it's great training for our students in terms of their vocal technique. I guess you could even call it old-fashioned in some respects of musical theater, but a lot of his scores were heavily influenced by jazz and popular music, so it has a nice combination of different genres in the same music, in his compositional style. How did you manage to get all of this together during a, uh, a pandemic? I'm looking at the program, and this is quite an extensive list, and uh, I'm not sure if the CDC is allowed singing in closed spaces. Um, can you run me through sort of what the protocol has been like trying to get all this together? Well, all year, and uh, in the fall, they performed masked, uh, and all year we have been masked. We've been live and we've been masked. So the students rehearsed every day uh, during class time, Uh, wearing masks and socially distancing, and then had to uh, monitor their symptoms this week to make sure they were symptom-free, and we were given permission for the one time uh, to not wear a mask when we recorded it. This is uh, what you will see on Sunday is um, a broadcast of a recording we made. So they got to rehearse in their masks, and then they had their one take without their masks and then put their masks back on. We followed... um, uh, COVID guidelines that the university sets out. We're very careful about that with the students. Tell me about some of these uh, performers. Um, I would imagine they'd have to be a very talented group of individuals. 
Opera Workshop, when we're not casting a show, is open to any student who's a singer who wants to be. As we choose repertoire, we choose things that are appropriate for them to perform. So in this case, there's a, a wide swath of um, kind of music that Kurt Weill wrote, some that's more operatic and some that is, uh, sounds more like jazz tunes. So this appealed to a wide variety of students, really served them in terms of wherever they were in their training. So we have freshmen in this show, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So there's a great variety in terms of what was available to them. One of the things I wanted to do in this was choose some familiar works. So Street Scene is an opera by Kurt Weill with a libretto by Langston Hughes. So we have three selections from that. And then we have three selections from Love Life, which was a concept musical that uh, Kurt Weill wrote. And we have a duet in there that we got permission from the Kurt Weill Foundation to uh, perform and record. And then four things from One Touch of Venus. Then the other selections are songs that are uh, lesser known by Kurt Weill. They may have been cut from a show, or uh, there are a couple things from film scores he wrote, one of which was never recorded. So that was kind of a fun for us to delve into that music that isn't really available. And for those six songs, we arranged uh, for jazz combo because they're sort of jazzy songs. So that was great for the students, too, to get to work with a combo. And just so that I make sure that I have this correct, the performances, are they going to be acted out scenes from said musicals or are they more of a, a standing performance? You know, we sometimes refer to things like that as park and barks, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's staged. And even the songs that are solo songs, uh, there is some staging with it. And what's unique about how we're delivering this is that it's going to be available on Sunday, May 2nd. And if people follow the link to unk.edu slash opera, they will get to download the program for the show. And there'll also be a link that we're broadcasting this through Vimeo. And it's going to be continually broadcast from 2 o'clock till 10 o'clock at night. So if they tune in at 2 o'clock, they can see it from the beginning. If they tune in at 2.15, they can see it from the beginning. The time starts whenever they log in, and it'll be available for eight hours. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because, again, on the advertisement, it just said 2 to 10 p.m., and I was like, oh, my goodness, this really is an opera. It's about 75 minutes of music, but this gives them, uh, people, an opportunity to tune in whenever it's convenient for them. In fact, the cast were having a watch party at 630 because that's what worked for most of the students. Well, Miss Foradori, thank you again for taking the time out to talk a little bit about this. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Anne Foradori is professor of music voice at UNK and the musical director for Loper Opera's I'm a Stranger Here Myself, Kurt Vile in America, which can be seen and heard online this Sunday from 2 until 10 p.m. Central. For more information, check out the link on the Friday Live page at netnebraska.org slash radio. I'm William Padmore. I'm Genevieve Randall. This is Friday Live on listener-supported NET Radio. There's even more to explore in the arts in Nebraska. We'll check in with a museum in Elmwood, as well as one of the most recorded tuba players in history. Caleb, I think, is probably the most measured and very, I'd say, regimented, very consistent. Achilles also warms up for long periods of time. 
Elmer, I noticed, is a, a more normal kind of warm-up, something you'd expect. And uh, Jeff uh, just plays as loud as he can, just for a few notes, and then he's ready to play. I can't remember what the tuba player does. Oh, that's me. <laughs> Meet Chuck Dellenbach of Canadian Brass and hear about what's ahead at the Best Reader Aldridge House, both on this week's Friday Live Extra podcast. Find wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at netnebraska.org slash radio. An Omaha arts organization is celebrating a landmark anniversary. KVNO's Corbin Hirschhorn has more. The Union for Contemporary Art celebrates its 10th anniversary this year. Though doors have been closed due to COVID-19, the union is staying positive and looking toward the future. Patrick Mainelli, communications director for the union. In some ways, the year feels almost more significant following the COVID year, which I guess we're still living the COVID year, but following it last year and the prospect that we can kind of open our doors again to the community fresh, like in celebrating our 10-year anniversary, we are once again hoping to reopen our doors this year, makes it feel even more joyful. Uh, early in the year, we, we framed this as being a year of joy for us and celebrating all that we have done in the last 10 years and just celebrating our community broadly. But the prospect of being able to welcome people back to the building, being able to gather again safely, makes that feel even more joyful. So in addition to that, we're also celebrating a lot of what has happened in the last 10 years. Um, one of the ways we're doing that is we welcomed back a group of five artists to our fellowship program who had previously participated. Um, and so that's something like a homecoming for them and a, a reunion for all of us. And that's been a really joyful experience already to have them back together. And then we're also just looking back in many ways at, at the past exhibitions that we've had and, and theater performances that have happened and finding ways to celebrate those again and to stay connected with the artists that we've worked with in the past in many ways. The union is a space for social change and a cultural cornerstone in the North Omaha community. Formally, our mission is to strengthen the cultural and social landscape of our community by using the arts as a vehicle to inspire positive social change. And what that means in a practical sense is that uh, we have a pretty wide diversity of programming that is around art, including visual arts, contemporary art in our gallery space, performing arts in our theater, as well as our fellowship program, which supports the development of working local artists, um, but also programming that fosters a sense of community and a space where rich dialogue can happen about issues that are critical to our community, thinking in particular of the Undesigned the Red Line exhibition, which has been ongoing for almost two years at this point. Other things like our Abundance Garden, Abundance Garden Community Garden, which is a gathering space um, in non-COVID times, but also a source of free and fresh produce to our community in North Omaha, which is one of the most populous food deserts in the state. So when we are, uh, approach the idea of social change, we, we see it really as, as something that's holistic. And the arts are critical to that in that they can foster a certain kind of introspection and a certain kind of dialogue that really nothing else can in quite the same way. But also it means just being a place where uh, the community can feel like it is their space and it's their home and dialogue and gathering can happen in a natural way. Though the union hasn't been physically open, some of its exhibitions have moved online. For example, Undesigned the Red Line, which examines the economic practice that segregated neighborhoods in Omaha and many other cities. Since COVID closed our doors, we moved the conversations that were happening around that exhibition to a virtual setting 
and again, the Red Line exhibition explores systemic racism, both locally and nationally, and how that particularly impacts um, housing discrimination historically, and then even still today. And once we closed our doors, those conversations moved to Zoom. And that's really been inspiring to see how well those conversations have translated to that virtual environment and how uh, people are still really impassioned about exploring that history, which is so complex. I mean, if you're in the exhibit itself, you could really lose a full day unpacking all the information that's in there. But people are finding really kudos to our um, exhibition tour guides who are finding really compelling ways to present the information in the Zoom setting. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think that we are close to the point where we have welcomed more people to have a conversation about redlining in a Zoom setting than uh, we welcomed to the physical space in the year and a half before we closed. Um, so that's been amazing. And people are still uh, coming in great numbers to those meetings. And we're having about two, two a month that are free and open to the public. Um, some, some are virtual tours and, and some are more specifically tailored to information about local elections and community organizing and the work that we can do to uh, undo the legacy of redlining and systemic racism. The Union for Contemporary Art plans to open again sometime this year. For more information on the Union and online events, go to u-ca.org. For Friday Live, I'm Corbin Hershorn. Coming up this morning on NET Radio, classical music on morning concert, and this afternoon, Laura Black and Classics by Request. Be sure to visit the NET website for podcasts of the show at netnebraska.org slash radio. Portions of Friday Live are pre-recorded. Our theme music was written and performed by Alexios Anist. Thanks to everyone who makes Friday Live possible, including Carrie Meese, William Padmore, and associate producer Dave Hughes. I'm Genevieve Randall. Support for programming on NET Radio comes from Brian Luther at Compass Financial Resources, helping Nebraska educators better understand their pensions and retirement benefits through educator workshops. For dates, locations, and individual consultations, compassnebr.com backslash upcoming events. Support for programming also comes from Union Bank and Trust with hardship loans and special considerations to help customers through these uncertain times. The people of UBT are here for Nebraskans and available by phone anytime. Member FDIC.